for many people in our, in our world, even for many believers and followers of Jesus Christ, Christmas has become stressful and complicated. The rush and expectations of a perfect holiday, of just the right gift, of just the right foods, um, can distract us not only from the meaning of Christmas, but the joy that comes when we're able to truly engage in worship. And, and so today we're going to focus in on simple worship. Um, a couple weeks ago, we started talking about simple generosity, and, and we gave some very practical ways to hopefully have um, less spending and more giving by finding some ways to be intentional about giving of our time, giving of resources that God has given to us, and, and to touch the lives of those who are truly in need rather than just an exchange of gifts. Exchanging gifts can be a wonderful thing, but sometimes it can take on a life of its own. And we want to make sure that we're intentional about our giving. Well, one of the things that we talked about was being able to um, make a difference in the lives of those who are, who are truly hurting. And so what we have today, um, for those who would, who would like to, to get some of these, and, and you will only take these if you have someone in mind or you're pretty sure you're going to encounter someone, um, we have some uh, certificates here from the Salvation Army that provides a homeless person with one night's bed, a shower, and a meal. And I'll have these out at the, at the table for the, for the Rhoda. And, um, and a wonderful couple in our church has also kind of taken this on as a project. And so they're working on getting additional cards. So we'll have more cards. Woohoo! Yes, exactly. We'll have more cards to be able to, to give away because it's really actually a pretty good deal. For 100 crowns, you get a bed, a meal, and a shower. And to a homeless person, that can be huge. And I want to encourage you to, to be intentional, form relationships with them, because one of the best things that we can do, even if we don't have a lot of resources to give, you can help give dignity and respect back to them. Um, on the square that we live off of, we, Becky especially has made quite a, quite a few friendships with, um, with the homeless people there. And over the years that we've been here, many have been in our home, they've spent the night, they've had meals, but we've seen the hardship and, and the struggles. We've had uh, at least three of them pass away already uh, in the time that we've been here. And um, Jiri, one of the most recent ones, from Exposure. And, and so it, it's a difficult thing. You know, we look at why they're there and we can see the complications. In his particular case, he had fallen working from one of the scaffoldings up high on a building and, and the pain was never able to subside. And so... He self-medicated, and that led him down a very dark path over the years. But when spending time in giving of ourselves and looking for their needs, we can have an impact, and we can show the grace of Christ in others' lives. So it's a resource for you as a church to be able to use, and we'll have these out at the beginning, or at the, excuse me, at the foyer of the, uh, after the service. Well, I want you to think about the, the Christmas story from a, the perspective of worship. Because the Christmas story, that first story, is absolutely filled with worship. It's not filled with shopping. It's not filled with parties. It's not filled with events that you go to or programs or pageants, as wonderful as those are. But every aspect of the story is 
absolutely saturated with worship. I want you to think about some of the things that that happened, some of the worship that we see in this very familiar story. Um, When you take a fresh look at Mary, at Joseph, at the angels, the shepherds, the magi, at Simeon and Anna, all the different characters of the Christmas season, of the Christmas story, everything that they did was focused on worship. The passage of scripture that we just read, we we read of Mary, how she worshiped through praise and awe. Uh, That passage is called the Magnificat because in in Latin, um, magnificat or to magnify, in the NIV it says exalt, is is what she says, my soul does magnify the Lord. And that's going to be a very important teaching point for us today. So Mary worshiped in praise and awe. Joseph worshiped through his obedience. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Joseph? To to have this woman that you've loved, that you care for, and find out she's pregnant, and uh, you know you're not the dad, and you begin to wonder and question, and then you have an angel appear to you, and and you go, okay, um, yeah, I I hear what you're saying. It's it's taken a little bit for me to, to trust that, but what we see in Joseph is that whenever God prompted him, he obeyed. When God prompted him to take Mary and Joseph and flee to Egypt, he didn't debate, he obeyed. He worshiped in his obedience. The angels joined together in praise. It says, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. It was a season of worship where heaven touched earth. The shepherds, it tells us later on in Luke that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as as it had been told them. The magi followed the general revelation in the sky, the star. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding and great joy. And out of the overflow of the joy in their hearts, they worshiped Jesus with gifts fit for the King of Kings." They came specifically to worship. So worship fills every part of the Christmas story. And if you really want to celebrate Christmas, that's where it has to begin. It's not about giving. It's not about um, ultimately about the time off and the time with family. All those are good things. Ultimately, it's about worship. Now, today we're going to explore this passage of scripture from, from that Mary has written, and um, oftentimes, to be honest, we kind of avoid talking about Mary because there's some myths that have grown up around Mary that um, take away from the depth and the beauty of the story. Now, as we go through this, we're going to try to, to um, expose some of those myths and see a greater picture of a woman whose heart was absolutely filled with worship for God. What we see and what we learn from Mary, first of all, is that true worship makes more of God and less of me. True worship makes more of God and less of me. That's what she said in in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. And, And as I was thinking about this, this may be the best definition of worship I've ever heard. There's all kinds of theological definitions, 
But I don't think anything gets better than that simple statement. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, the word magnify can be a little tricky for us because oftentimes when we think of magnify, we think of seeing something that is small and making it bigger. Well, God is infinite. He is certainly not small, so we can't make him bigger because he's already infinite. So he can't be bigger. But another way to understand magnify is to bring closer. And I want to illustrate that in a, in a simple way by showing you that there are three kinds of worship that follow three different kinds of magnification. And so today we have some props here to talk about worship. Well, we did have some props here to talk about worship. Um, hopefully they survived, so. All right. So I have three different kinds of magnification here. <laughs> My self-worship keeps falling down. So the first type of worship is that which some of you um, may have in your, in your bathroom, and that is a self-magnifying mirror. How many of you will confess that you have one of these? There you go. They are helpful. Unfortunately, the more, you know, as I get older and I look at it, I, I really don't appreciate the magnification nearly as much as I did when I was younger. It's become more frightening. Um, this one especially, which I found at the store, is a seven times magnification, and it is frightening to look at. Let me just tell you that straight up. But this actually is a picture of what we do in worship. Because these three different things represent the kind of worship that we participate in. And every one of us worships. We may not be religious. We may not go to church very often. We, we, may, have, we may claim that we don't worship. But the truth is, one of these three forms or a combination of them actually defines the worship in our life. And the first one, this magnifying mirror, is that we all have a tendency to magnify ourselves, to put ourselves on the throne that belongs rightly and only to God. Now, the second kind of, of magnification is, is represented here by a magnifying glass, and this is a picture of false worship, because what a magnifying glass does is it does take something that is small and makes it appear bigger. For instance... If I was to take some money, and in my life, if I magnify that, if it becomes more and more important to me, then it can become an idol in my life. And anything that becomes bigger in my heart and in my life that I put more trust in than God is an idol. I can magnify things, created things, whatever they may be. It could be money, it could be power, it could be sex. It could be all kinds of different things. It could be position. But if I'm magnifying that, it is a form of false worship. The Scripture tells us in Colossians that covetousness, desiring that which someone else has, is actually idolatry. To magnify something small and make it big as if it is God, that's idolatry. But then we have true worship which is like a telescope, because a telescope takes that which is already absolutely huge and brings it closer. 
it allows us to be able to see more of what it's like and experience it more intimately. That's the kind of magnification that Mary is talking about when it comes to God. When she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, it means he is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in her heart, so much so that it overflows so that others can see what God is like through her. That is true worship. So I want you to think about your own life, your own worship. What is it like? What defines how you worship? Is your life caught up with yourself and self-magnification? Are you focused on things? And those things, they could be a false god as well. It doesn't really matter what kind of thing. If it's taking God's place and we're magnifying something created as if it was the creator, it's false worship. Or is our worship more like a telescope that's seeking to bring an amazing God into greater view, to bring heaven to earth. That's what Mary was doing here in her worship. So let's pick up this this passage and look at what she says. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, so it's a little bit different than your pew Bible, but, um, but it's a very good translation. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, this song that she proclaims takes place after she has um, heard the announcement from the angel Gabriel that she is going to be with child. And she also is told as an affirmation that that is true, that she's going to have a child that is conceived of the Holy Spirit the angel also tells her that her cousin, who is quite, um, quite old, Elizabeth, is expecting as well, and that in this family, something miraculous is happening. God is visiting them with a ve- very special part of his, his message and salvation plan. And so Mary goes to spend time with her cousin, Elizabeth, because really, there's no one else she can talk to. Because both of them are expecting in miraculous ways. We don't know how old Elizabeth was. Um, uh, I'm going to tell a story of my wife here, which will probably cost me later. But that's all right. Um, uh, About five or six weeks ago uh, in their community Bible study, Becky went as a pregnant Elizabeth. And uh, and, and it was kind of scary for me. Uh, to see and to think about that, you know, we have four wonderful children, but I really don't want a baby, just, just, uh, just to tell you. But, you know, chances are Elizabeth was older than, than my very young wife. Um, wow, I just, just leave that, let it go. Anyway, Elizabeth is getting up there, and she's expecting, and it's a miracle. Help me. Okay. <laughs> So who else is Mary going to talk to? She can't really talk to Joseph that much because Joseph's going to be wrestling with things. She can't talk to her mom and dad, but God sends her to someone else who's been visited by an angel and sees that this is a special touch from God. And as she comes, the the scripture tells us that when Mary comes into into the house, that 
the child in Elizabeth's womb, who's now six months pregnant, which with John, the man who would become John the Baptist, he leaps in her womb because he recognizes the presence of the Savior. It's amazing. And out of that overflow of seeing what God has done, she breaks out in song, in worship. And she says, she magnifies the Lord. What she does is, her, she says, my soul makes great the Lord. My soul enlarges the reality of God's might, of his power, of his holiness, of the character of what he's like, and of his mercy, of his love. And we see that all through this passage. Mary is humble. She recognizes that this miracle of Jesus is not about her. She says that she's of humble estate and that she herself is a servant. In fact, the word that she uses here when she says that she is a servant is the word doulos, which means slave. She says, I'm God's slave. And there's nothing special about me, but for some reason, God in his generous heart has chosen to do something wonderful in and through me. Now, here's a secret I want to let you in on. You and I were not chosen to be the earthly mother of the Savior, but God has just as significant a role for your heart and life as he did for Mary. If you will choose to magnify him with all that you are, that's why she was chosen. Not because she was special or qualified, but because God knew her heart and he chose her because she magnified the Lord. Now, here in the passage, we see something very important because not only does she, she magnify the Lord, but she says, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, there's a myth about Mary that, that is sometimes called the Immaculate Conception, which teaches that Mary herself was, was uh, mysteriously or miraculously conceived and she did not have sin. That is absolutely not what the scripture says. She says right there, my God, my Savior. She is acknowledging her own need for a Savior, that she is just as much in need of someone to pay the price for her sin as everyone else. And so she humbly proclaims that God is the deliverer, God is the rescuer, God is the one that she puts her trust in. Verse 48 says this, For he has looked on my humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all generations will call me blessed. And Mary is indeed blessed. She had a God had a mission for Mary to fulfill, and she fulfilled it very well. She was given the responsibility of carrying and caring for Jesus until he reached adulthood. But she was an ordinary woman. Likewise, there's a, there's a myth that Mary was a perpetual virgin, which means that she never had intimacy with Joseph and she never had other children. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear in saying that Joseph did not have intimacy, did not have union with Mary until after Jesus was born. But Mary and Joseph had other children. Look at Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. This is what the scripture tells us. Um, this is speaking of Jesus. He went away and there came to his hometown 
uh, which is of Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And look what it says. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, evidently, we we can read from this that Joseph, who was also a carpenter, has died at this point because he's not mentioned. But he's saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Mary? And what does it say next? And the brother of James, of Joseph or Joseph, of Judas or Jude, the book of Jude is written by his brother, half-brother Jude, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, that little statement is absolutely packed with meaning because at this point, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Mary did. She had an understanding because uh, of the miracle that she had experienced, but the brothers and um, sisters of Jesus did not believe on him until after his resurrection. And then they became followers of Jesus Christ, so much so that James became the leader of the church at Jerusalem, and Jude is responsible for writing a a little book that we have in the New Testament, the book of Jude, um, that deals with false teaching. And so he's saying, at this point, the people of my hometown, they don't really believe in me. My family doesn't believe in me. But the evidence is that Mary was not perpetually a virgin. She had at least, let's see, let's count it up. James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and sisters, it's plural. So at least six other kids. That's what the scripture tells us. Mary had a blessed role but it was a role for a limited time. As I mentioned, during Jesus' ministry, his his brothers did not believe on him until the resurrection. And I want to show you the last mention in the New Testament, last last mention in the Scripture of Mary. And and it's significant. It appears in the book of Acts. And this is right after Jesus, after he rose from the dead and he ascends into heaven, um, his, his brothers and Mary were there along with the disciples. They had seen him ascend into heaven. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, or Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Those are all disciples or the apostles. All these were one accord, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So now they've come to follow him. They've come to place their trust in him. And this is the last mention of Mary in the New Testament. And she's mentioned as an ordinary woman, an ordinary believer. And there in that room, in just a few verses, Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit comes on the 120 believers who are gathered together and fills each of them with the Holy Spirit. You see, Mary had a role, but her very special role was fulfilled when Jesus began his ministry.
in adulthood. And now she's operating like any other believer. That's why we don't pray to her because we have one mediator. The scripture tells us in Timothy there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That's who we pray to. We don't need a priest. We don't need to go through a saint. We have access through Jesus himself to come right into the presence of the Lord. So that's maybe some of the myths that the scripture dispels about Mary, but let's look at what she has to teach us about worship because it is powerful. Let's look back and see some more of these verses, looking again where she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Does that sound familiar this morning? We just sang it a few moments ago. That whole song, he who is mighty, the very heart of it comes out of this passage right here. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So first, Mary praises the Lord for what he has done for her. That's where he begins. It's very personal, but she doesn't stop there. She's not magnifying herself. She's looking at what God has done in the bigger picture as well. She says, all generations will call me blessed she would not be the one who conferred blessings, who gave blessings, but the one who would be blessed as part of God's larger plan and larger story for blessing all who trust in him. Secondly, she praised the Lord for his mercy on all who fear him in every generation. It says he puts down the proud and the mighty and lifts up the lowly and the hungry. She's seeing how God works and how we are to approach him with a humble heart because that's the prerequisite for worship. And finally, she magnified the Lord for his faithfulness to Israel in keeping his promises, the promises that he made to Abraham, to the patriarchs, to, to Isaac and to, to, to Jacob and to the descendants, to the family of faith. Mary saw her part, saw herself as part of a much bigger story of God's story and his work among his people and all who would trust in Jesus as Savior. She was just a part of that. And that's one of the other keys for us in worship. It's not just about us. It's about us, all of us. This is why it's so important that we encourage one another, that we believe that God is working in the hearts and lives of one another, that we be unified because it reflects a heart of true worship. That's what Mary shows us. What well, we see also here that there's a, as she's magnifying the Lord, we see that there's, in a sense, three dimensions to her worship because she picks out three very specific things 
that she exalts the Lord for. She praises him for his power. She um, praises him for his character. And she praises him for his love. And I think those three things, those dimensions of worship are reflected in this way. The height of worship is how Mary praised God for what he has done, for his power. He who is mighty has done a great thing. The power of God is on display for all to see who will look for what he has done. That's the height of worship. The depth of worship, though, is Mary exalting the Lord for his character, for his holiness, for his goodness. The goodness of the Lord is worthy of our focus and our praise. At all times, he is good. You see, that's what we need to bring closer. We need to see his power. We need to remember and focus in, like with a telescope, on his character on his holiness. That's the depth of our worship. The more you know what God is like, the deeper your worship will go. And then thirdly, the width or the breadth of worship. Mary magnified God for his love. His mercy is for those who fear him, she says. The arms of God have reached out to all peoples, people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's the breadth of his love. And it's reflected on the cross because with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment, the Lord Jesus has rescued us. That's how broad his love is. It is broad enough to reach anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they've strayed, no matter where you are, God's love can reach you. He simply invites you to take your focus off of yourself to take the focus off of things and to begin to magnify him in true worship. We see the same kind of thing reflected in the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through, through 21. Paul is praying, and, and he has a prayer that, that is amazing. Listen to what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. When Mary said she magnified the Lord, she then went on to say, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see, when we begin to focus our life in on the greatness of God and bring him closer, there's an effect that happens in us. We become filled with joy in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in his love, his mercy, his power, his goodness, your life will be filled. Now, we don't worship so that we can be filled. We worship because he is worthy. But when we truly worship, the result will always be joy. That's, that's why I say let your joy out when you're worshiping. Let others see that God is doing something great within you. Well, thirdly, Mary teaches us 
that true worship involves all that we are. She says that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, she's not just using poetic language here. She's saying, in essence, that all that I am is engaged in worship. It, it reflects the great commandment that Jesus would give to us where he reinstated the commandment to, to Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Worship involves all that we are, focusing in on the greatness, power, mercy, and holiness of God. Fourthly, true worship is saturated with Scripture. Now, most commentators and biblical scholars, they look at Mary, they think that she was very young. We really have no idea how old she was. They, they assume that she was very poor, and therefore they assume that she's not very educated. But her song is incredible. Her song is filled with scriptures because she had meditated in her heart. In fact, in many ways, it's very similar to the song of Hannah in, in uh, the book of 1 Samuel when Hannah was rejoicing over God enabling her to have a child and to give birth to, to Samuel the prophet. Mary would have remembered those songs. She would, have been, she would have been immersed in growing up in them. But also, the Psalms themselves come out in what she has said. For instance, Psalm 34, verse 3, starts out this way. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That must have been going through her heart and her mind as she just filled with the Holy Spirit there with her cousin, just lets out her joy and, and speaks this beautiful song of praise to the Lord. Psalm 69, verse 30 says, I will praise the name of the God, the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. The Bible is filled with the language of praise. And if you want to grow in your worship, Spend time in his word, meditating, memorizing, especially from the Psalms, because it will come out in your worship. It's the same kind of thing when you're in a relationship, when you're in love, you want to find out the things that you can say um, that will connect your heart with the one that you love. This is why even big, strong, burly men sometimes will learn poetry, because they think it will help woo the one that they love when they speak these sweet words of poetry, but they do it because they love. Shouldn't we, if we love the Lord, want to learn the language and the words and the phrases that are close to his heart? True worship is saturated with scripture. Fifthly, true worship expresses what God has done and gives him all of the credit that's what she says in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Mary recognizes that God is at work. Even though um, the people of Israel are enslaved at that time to Rome, to a foreign power, her focus isn't on the obstacles but on the greatness of a God who is working in the midst 
of difficult circumstances, all credit goes to the Lord. To magnify, to magnify the Lord means that we focus in on Him no matter what our circumstances are because He is worthy of praise and we can trust Him. Now, what I want to encourage you to do is, is simply to ask the Lord to teach you to magnify Him, to allow Him to become larger in your heart, larger in your, your view and in your world. And there's some practical ways that you can live that out. And so I put these in your notes. To magnify God, I want you to, to think about what are some of His characters that you can reflect on. What are the things that you know about God that you could write down, that you could put in a journal and just say, God, I recognize that you're like this, that you do these things. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the way that you worked in a circumstance this week in my life, in the workplace or in our family. Look for some things that will focus in and magnify who God is and what he has done. Write them down and begin a pattern of praising the Lord for those characteristics about him and the things that he has done. Mary's firsthand experience with God prompted her to magnify him. And what I want to encourage you to do is to think about a time when God touched your life personally. Maybe you were going through a great trial. Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe you were going through a broken relationship. Maybe it was just a time of, of dis discouragement, or maybe it was a time of great joy and revelation. Think about a time when God connected with your heart personally, and what I want to encourage you to do is to magnify the Lord like Mary and tell someone else about it. Tell your spouse, tell a family member, tell a friend. If you can't find anybody else to tell, tell me. I'd love to hear it. But share it. Because that's how our heart grows in worship. Well, here's, some, here's some other practical ways that we'll, we'll end with here. Um, some practical ways to grow in magnifying the Lord, in bringing Him closer so that we see what He is like and so that others can see His goodness, His grace, and His power through us. Remember, first of all, that it is God alone that we are to worship. Take time to focus on Him. You know, even when we come to church, um, it's filled with activity. It's an opportunity. We get to see people we haven't seen all week, and, and, and there's joy that comes in that. But make sure you find some, some time to focus just on Him. If that's in the middle of the sermon, you go for it, okay? I, you know, I will not think that you are sleeping. I promise. If your eyes are closed and your head's bowed down, I'm going to assume that you and God are connecting and you're magnifying Him. May, not, may or may not be true, but I choose to believe it. So you go for it because that's why we're here, okay? Throughout your day, take time to be quiet. And, and I know that is incredibly hard to do. We all have busy lives. But if you can carve out a minute or, or a couple minutes during the day just to be still and know that he is God, it will make a difference in your life. You will grow in worship. One of the things that I've done um, frequently is I'll set an alarm on my phone, and it'll, it'll go off at some whatever time I've chosen during the day, and it'll be a time where I want to stop and just focus in on the Lord and praise Him, maybe for a minute or 
two minutes or maybe an opportunity where I can go longer, but it will make a difference in your life when you're intentional. You say, Lord, I want to magnify you. I want to encourage you to, to memorize a psalm or, or a set of verses so that the scripture begins to saturate your thoughts and your life because it'll draw you closer to the Lord and it'll teach you how to worship and magnify him. Find some choruses or hymns or songs. A great one is this, this song we've sung today, He Who Is Mighty. You know, download that on iTunes or whatever you listen to, the Spotify. Get those and listen to them a lot so that your heart's able to focus in and magnify the Lord. And finally, look for what God is doing in the lives of others because worship is both personal and corporate. That's what we see in Mary. She doesn't just focus in on her. She sees the bigger part of the story. She sees all that eventually would believe and trust in God And she's magnifying the Lord from the very center of who she is because God is incredibly good. If you are intentional this Christmas about making worship, simple worship, a priority in your life, you will have the best Christmas ever because you will experience the true meaning of Christmas not the season, not the smells and the sights and the decorations, but Emmanuel, God with us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, that is what we desire. Would you teach us to magnify you, Lord? Lord, thank you for the example of Mary in teaching us about worship, about lifting up your name, about magnifying you in our life. Lord, would you help us to follow her example and to grow in our worship, to grow in our enjoyment of you. Lord, I pray for each person here that as they take even the smallest step towards growing in worship, Lord, that you would surprise them in a beautiful way. Lord, they would would discover more about you that that just overflows. And, And Lord, they... Maybe they'll even break out in song. It may be in the shower, but it doesn't matter. Let them break out in song because of your goodness. Oh, Lord, teach us to worship you because you are worthy. You, Lord Jesus, are Christmas. It is all about you. Help us to magnify your name, we pray in Christ's name. After the service, I'll be out front if you want to get one of these um, cards that you want to give to someone in need. But let's continue now to exalt the Lord together.